and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. Amen, amen. I want you to take out your Bible, if you would, and, and go to John chapter 18, and we'll come back to that in the message. Uh, I'm also going to have you turn to Matthew 21 uh, during the sermon. <clears throat> but this is our second week on the King's Cross. Yes, you can stand the King's Cross, uh, and we want to talk about Jesus not being an ordinary king, <clears throat> not being an ordinary king. John chapter 18 verse 33 and 37. If you have it, can you say amen? Amen. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world, from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Can you say amen? You may be seated. Thank you for standing and acknowledging the word. Now, there are what's noted now 44 monarchs, monarchies uh, in the world, at least in the, what little research I, uh, I done, and I don't know, those figures might have been 2017, 2018, and uh, they are places where there's still a king or queen that is in authority. They may have other governmental bodies and institutions, but they still have a monarchy system, uh, 44 of them. Uh, it's, it's, it's only 29 actual monarchs because Queen Elizabeth is a monarch over 15 others, uh, other nations. So 29 of them. The thing though that you'll notice with any kind of monarchy any kind of kingdom, any place where there's a king or a queen in authority, the treatment of those uh, are the same. They are, you know, there's high regard for them, uh, high honor. Uh, they're, they're all mostly pretty wealthy, sometimes maybe the wealthiest folks in the nation. Um, they're very well cared for, treated very well, uh, and you know, it goes right along with our statement, they're treated like a king or treated like a queen. It doesn't matter what the ethnicity is either. It doesn't matter what the culture is. And I, I don't, I, I think a clear example of that is if any of you have watched The Crown and if any of you have watched a horrible movie that I don't recommend called Coming to America 2. <laughs> Terrible but two different spectrums. You, you have the monarchy of the United Kingdom and you have the monarchy of, of the, the little nation there in, in Africa that is represented in that movie, yet the people are treated absolutely the same. Same kind of honor, same kind of regard, wealth, treatment, care, etc. 
and, and they even have different worldviews, but the treatment is the same. So my point, I think, is that all kingdoms usually, they're pretty ordinary in what you would see of the kingdom. But what you see of Jesus is so different. What you see of Jesus as a king is so different than what you see of any other monarchy uh, that, we, that we see. And, and we're, we're addressing a time now, this Passion Week that we're talking about, this, this week, uh, this is Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem to prepare himself honestly for the day of glorification for him, which was the crucifixion. It's a time when the Jews are under heavy oppression, oppression by the Romans. They still have some of their own leaders. They still have some of their own religious leaders, of course, and some of their own political leaders. And, and they're looking for the Messiah to come. It's been prophesied. It's been expressed. It's been declared uh, over uh, centuries that there was a Messiah coming. We go all the way, we can actually go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, but throughout all of the prophets, they knew that a Messiah, a king, a Christ was coming. He would be a deliverer. He would be a conqueror. He would come and, 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 and be the one who would rule. They knew that he would be a savior. And, uh, and so they had this mindset of what this king would be like. Now, I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew 21, because I want to take us to the day that their king had arrived, the day that their king had made the direct declaration of who he, who he was. And it's, it's, we call it the triumphal entry, and it's Matthew 21, verses 1 through 13. This is Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday, obviously, A.D. 33, almost 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to read Matthew 21, 1 through 13, and I want you to hear this. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, this is Jesus and his disciples. They're making their way toward Jerusalem. They were at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, when we see the language Zion, we're talking about the people of Israel. We're talking about Jerusalem. Say to the daughter of Zion, say to the people of Israel, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of the beast of a burden. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put him, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. We call it Palm Sunday. They cut palm trees, which represent victory. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. 
And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And what we see here, there's so many things I could bring out of of all the distinctions about Jesus compared to all other kings and kingdoms. I'll only bring out a a few here, and I'm actually going to be leading to some questions that I'm going to ask you at the end of this message. So this is going to take us right to the day that Jesus was crucified. But to establish the distinction of this kingdom and the kingdom of all others, you notice some traits and some characteristics of Jesus. One is that Jesus comes in humility. That's not the manner that most kings would enter anywhere. Most kings would not enter their kingdom on a donkey. I can dare to say to you, if I rode to city hall on a donkey and said, I'm the king, that ain't going, who going to buy that? I mean, so he didn't come in on the jumbo jet. He didn't come in on the chariot. He didn't come in on some stately horse. Jesus comes in in humility and, and expresses to the people of God that this is the manner of the king that he is for the kingdom that he is uh, establishing. Now, when he did this, this should not have been unknown to them. We read the Scripture, or at least we read Matthew 21, which, which is bringing in one of the passages in Zechariah, one of the Old Testament passages, where they were told that the king was going to come to Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, either they completely misunderstood that, or they thought for some manner that that was referring to someone else, or they were in a situation where they thought it was irrelevant at this time because when that, those prophecies were given, they still had their own kingdoms. So they, now they're under the Romans. They might have thought it was irrelevant. In any manner, when Jesus comes in on this donkey, they do not rec- recognize him or the religious leaders don't acknowledge him as king at all. It's those that the Lord rose up on that day that had a knowledge of what the Scripture says, that declared and did what the Scriptures had prophesied about. It's one of those times in Scripture where something that was said centuries before, seven, eight hundred years before, absolutely came to fruition and was fulfilled. Many times people ask me, why do I believe the Bible? Because I'm here to tell you, if somebody tells me something seven hundred years ago, and, eight, and seven or eight hundred years later, it comes to, comes to be exactly the way they said it, I think that's worth believing. I think that's worth believing. And so sure enough, Jesus comes in, and, and he did not come in in the manner that they thought. They were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for an army. They were looking for royalty to come in that was going to turn things upside down. And so the expectation of Jesus and what they saw was not what they had uh, assumed at all. Now, now, I'll just say this before I go on to the next point. Our king is coming again. He came then, and a whole lot of people didn't recognize him, and they didn't accept him. They didn't accept this guy that comes in on a donkey and declares himself to be king. And I'm here to tell you, our king is coming again. 
And he is the same ruler. He's the same authority. He's the same conqueror. Nation after nation can establish themselves as being the preeminent. But when our king comes, he's coming without. He ain't coming with guns. He ain't coming with knives. He's coming in ushering salvation. He's coming in ushering peace. He's coming in ushering righteousness. And he's coming in ushering the glory of the Lord. Can you say amen? And so here comes Jesus, and he's a king like no other because he comes in humility. The second thing about Jesus that is not identified with other kings is that he was identified as being from heaven. Now, now why do I say that? And there's a lot I can say about the palms and the clothes and all of that kind of thing. But what they said about him, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The whole translation of that is, here is the king that comes from up on high, different than every other king. All kings and kingdoms in this world are put up by God and set down by God. God is the sovereign one who establishes kingdoms and sets down kingdoms. But they're all kings from the earth, whether they're put in by vote, whether they're put in by coup, whether they're put in by mischief, it doesn't matter. They're all from the earth. But Christ is one that comes from heaven. He is the only king that comes from heaven. That's why we call him the Lord of lords and king of kings, because he's the only king that came down from heaven. So that makes him again a king like no other king. Are you still with me? And another thing that we see about this king that other kings would not pay attention to, and that was the spiritual life of the people. I think, you know, even in Bible days and antiquity, days of antiquity, and I still, still believe it's set up this way in England, the Church of England is still under the, I guess, the oversight or, comp- well, the, the voice of the, of the queen. Most folks, most kingdoms, they're not really concerned about your spiritual life. They just want to make sure you do what we tell you to do, you pay your taxes, you do things in a manner according to the law. They're not concerned about their spiritual life. But Jesus is a king that was concerned about people's spiritual life. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the first place he goes is into the temple, establishing the fact that the most important thing here is that I'm not a king that you see as one coming in to conquer and coming in to be uh, someone that you say, oh yes, this is our king, look at his army, look at his strength. Jesus comes in to make a statement to say, what is my kingdom really concerned about? Your spiritual life your spiritual welfare. So he comes in, he sees all of the stuff going on in the temple and says, this is, this is not the kingdom that I'm coming to. This place that you've established as a place of worship that is supposed to be unto my kingdom looks nothing like what my concern is about my people. So he turns up the tables and makes a mess in the temple and says this, that my house should be a house of prayer. This is a king that's not concerned about how much riches, how much wealth, how much uh, honor that people give him. This is a king that's concerned about us having a real intimate life with him. Jesus is a king like no other. Now, what Jesus did on this day, on Palm Sunday, is what got him into more trouble than what he was already in. As a matter of fact, when Jesus did this very thing, That's when the religious leaders 
had made a determination that we're going to arrest him. They had already talked about it. They had already decided that if we keep allowing him to go the manner that he's going, people are going to be led from us. We talked about that last week. But when he came in and people were declaring him the king, this is when they thought this is our moment. And so I want to, I want to fast forward you a little bit, if I can, to the day of Jesus' crucifixion. The day of Jesus' crucifixion, we find Jesus where he's going through actually a few trials, and they were all what we call sham trials. The things that the trumped up charges on Jesus was just all a bunch of bogus stuff. The things that they were trying to say that Jesus had done, the lies that was coming. They were trying to get witnesses to to put their stories together. And if you read the Gospels, the Gospels say that none of these witnesses could even speak the same story. But their, their intent was to find a reason on why, on how they can not only imprison Jesus, but catch this, they wanted to get him to a place where he could be crucified. That was their goal. That was their intent. Now, here's the trick, though, with the Jewish people, with the Jewish leaders. Because the nation was still under Rome, they had authority to take their Jewish people through courts, and they could take them uh, through processes where they can receive punishment and and, uh, sentences to, to jail and to prison. But the thing they could not do was make a determination that he, a person was to be executed. Only the Romans could do that. The Romans were the only ones that had the authority to say this person is to be crucified, he's to be executed. And there, there was only certain reasons why the Romans would do that. They could care less if Jesus came and said that, hey, I'm, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah. And they wouldn't complain about that. They could care less about that. They could care less whether the Jewish leaders were topsy-turvy because they're the ones that's leading the nation, waiting on the Messiah, and here comes this guy that everybody's flocking to and saying, you know, he's causing all kind of trouble around town. They could care less about that. They could care less that Jesus went into the temple and turned the temple upside down. They could care less about that. The only thing that they cared about is whether anybody in that land was going was to rise up against Caesar and cause trouble to the Romans. So this is what the Jews do. The Jews had these trials, and the most that they could come up with for, against Jesus was blasphemy because Jesus said that he was the Messiah and, and they just believed he was an imposter. So the most that they could come up with is that Jesus was being blasphemous but that didn't get them a crucifixion. So they made up these things and had Jesus sent to Pilate. And they said these things, and I think it'll be on the board, that we have found on the screen. We found this man. We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Christ the King. Now, they knew with those charges, they would get Jesus in front of Pilate. And they were hoping that once they got Jesus in front of Pilate, that Pilate would listen to them and go on with the next step. Uh, I think I'll go a a little bit further with that also. When you read the, the Gospels and you see when they got Jesus in front of Pilate, immediately the thing they said is, he has spoken against Caesar, crucify him. They wanted to start a mob riot declaring that Jesus would be crucified. And I'll tell you why uh, in just a moment, why they wanted to do it that way. They wanted to get so much attention, cause so much noise, so much uh, ruckus, 
that Pilate was put in a bad position. Now, here's Pilate's position. When, when Jesus comes, that first charge of Jesus subverting the nation, he, that, that didn't even pay no attention to him. He had already taken Jesus back and questioned him and said, dude, what's the deal? What are they saying about you? Blah, blah, blah. And as you know, Jesus didn't, uh, didn't say anything, didn't really say anything. He goes back out. He tells him, I don't see nothing wrong with the man. They said, no, 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 this man is went against Caesar. This man has said this. This man has said that he was a king. He, they threw up the first deal. He's subverting the nation. That didn't mean nothing to Pilate. Second thing is, you know, he doesn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. Well, whether Pilate knew it or not, that was a flat-out lie. And you might remember uh, the scene when the, the Jewish people, the religious leaders, was questioning whether they should give honor to the Roman leadership, even though they were under Roman authority, but they were in their land, and so they were questioning whose authority they should listen to. And Jesus said to them, bring me a coin. And when they brought him a coin, on that coin, I think this is Matthew 22 maybe, or uh, 17, on that coin there was a picture of Caesar. And Jesus said to them, you render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and you render unto God what's God. And that's a lesson to all of us that we acknowledge the authority of the state that's, that's over us, and yet we acknowledge our authority over God. Even beyond that, he told Peter, because we do pay taxes, he sent Peter down to go fishing, told Peter, when you catch a fish, there's going to be enough money in there to pay all of our taxes. I'm still looking for that fish. Believe me, I am. After we wrote them checks, I'm still looking for that fish. But so he did, so they paid taxes. So whether Pilate knew all that, he just knew, you know, I'm not going to fight over that. But then when they said that he considers himself the king, that's when you see the Scripture says, then he took Jesus back to his quarters again because it was that statement of Jesus saying that he was a king that got Pilate's attention. Now, the, the, the thing about Pilate and the reason that the people were causing these riots is that they already knew that Pilate was on thin ice. Caesar had already let Pilate know if you have any more situations, Pilate in history had already mishandled situations like this, not with Jesus, but situations in lands that he was overseeing for the Romans that got out of hand. And they had let Pilate know if any more of these things get mishandled, any more of these things get out of hand, you're going to be removed from your place of authority. So Pilate was already on thin ice. They wanted to cause such a ruckus and such a riot that it would get attention of Caesar and the Roman authorities over Pilate to say he's in trouble again. So they knew they could put pressure on Pilate. They knew they could put pressure on him to eventually do whatever they want to save his position. Pilate reminds you of the folks who don't really want to, to examine Jesus enough to find out who he really is, but want to know enough about Jesus to see if Jesus can save their marriage. They want to know just enough about Jesus to see if he can fix my finances. Just want to know just enough about Jesus to see if he can help me in my career. Want to know just enough about Jesus to see if he can help me in the position of life that I want to be in. Don't really want to know him as Lord. Don't really want to know him as Savior. Don't really want to know him as King. But, but, 
but there's something about this guy. I want to know enough about Jesus to see if he can help my situation. Y'all following me? That's where Pilate is. He's got to know enough. Am I in a position where I got to know what this Jesus is saying to save my hide? And that's where Pilate was. So the pressure was upon him to crucify him. If he had not crucified Jesus, the folks would have went off and Pilate would have been in a situation that would have looked bad for him. And you remember his wife came to him and said, do not have anything to do with this man. I've had a dream about this Jesus, and it's a troubling dream. Don't go through with this about this man. Here's the sad part just to end Pilate's story. Pilate ended up having a bad situation after this one, ended up being sent to uh, Gaul, which is uh, a place in, in, uh, under the Roman Empire, and eventually Pilate ended up committing suicide. Uh, so it's a sad ending, but here was a man, instead of looking at Jesus for who he is, was looking at Jesus for what he can do for me. Let that be a lesson to us. Y'all follow me on that. It's, it's, it's this dialogue that we read in the beginning, uh, Luke 18, 33, uh, John 18, 33 through 37, that I really want to bring personal. Even though it's Pilate and Jesus, there's some things that said here that I don't want you to miss. When he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus already knew that Pilate was not concerned about really knowing who he was in the sense of who he really was. Jesus already knew what Pilate was up to. He was trying to see if Jesus, what Jesus would say so he would know what the next step would be. So Jesus didn't answer him directly. He wanted, I love this about Jesus, he wanted to take Pilate to a place where Pilate had to make a decision in his own heart concerning who Jesus was. He didn't want it to be a yes, no answer because that would just end it yes or no. That would be the end of it. So he didn't commit to it. It would be, it would be simply like me saying, you know, do you, uh, are you still kicking your cat? Well, if you say yes, then you're admitting that you are kicking your cat. If you say no, then you're admitting that you were kicking your cat, right? It's a trick question. Are you still kicking your cat? Yes or no, uh, you're in trouble. And I might as well say this, I said it in the first service, if you're one of those ones that don't mind having them little critters around your house that remind you of demons, you're still not going to tell people whether you're, whether you're kicking your cat or not, right? You're not going to do that. So Jesus, so, so Jesus didn't answer that question directly. He didn't answer it. But this is what he, he did say, because this is where he wanted to get to. Is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? See, that's what Jesus wanted to know from Pilate. Where is this coming from? Is there something in you that might recognize who I really am? Well, Pilate went off on that and said, man, I'm not a Jew. It's your people who are, who are bringing you to me. You, you must have done something. And then Jesus goes on and does a defense. So it's it's, it's what, one of those defenses. I'm not sure what the legal term is, but you admit to something, but you, you lay out the conditions. Uh, so Jesus, Jesus does admit to being a king, but he lays out the condition. It would be like if, if uh, somebody came in your home and they tried to violate you, violate your family, and you shot them and, and they died and you get arrested and you, and you get questioned, did you kill the person? Well, yes, the truth of it is I did, but I killed them because 
they had broken my home and they were violating my family, you see? So it's an admission, yes, I did, but here's the conditions. Jesus saying, yes, I am a king, but I'm not a king of this world. I'm not a king of this world. He says, if I was a king of this world, my servants would fight for me and I would never be arrested by the Jews. So he's, he's basically saying, if I, was, if I was a king of this world, I wouldn't even be standing in front of you. My servants would have fought for me. I wouldn't have never got here. I am a king, but from a, a kingdom from another place. That's what Pilate caught a hold of. And Pilate responded and says, so you are a king then. So you are a king. And Jesus responds with an affirmation. And he says this, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, that, that conversation of Pilate and Jesus, I've taken probably 35 minutes just to get to this point. That's the conversation that all of us need to have about Jesus. I, I want to read you a quote from a commentator. His last name is Chandler. This is what he says. His kingdom, talking about Jesus' kingdom, it differed widely from that of Caesar. Caesar's empire was over the bodies of men. Christ's kingdom was over their souls. The strength of Caesar's kingdom was in citadels, in armies, in navies, the towering Alps, and and all of the seas. But the strength of the kingdom of Christ was and is and will ever be in sentiments, principles, ideas, and the saving power of the divine word. Whole different kingdom with Jesus. It's not about armies. It's not about citadels. It's, it's not about uh, being a force that people recognize and a conquering and ruling king. It's not that kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom in which our hearts and minds are rested into the principles that we want to embrace from Jesus Christ that declares us to be people of God who trust him for salvation, for peace, and for righteousness. So now I just got three questions for you, and I'll, I'll uh, let you go. By the way, the NASCAR today, they're, they're on Bristol. They're, it's on a dirt track, and I, I just can't hardly wait to get home uh, to watch it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this short real quick, uh, but, but you'll get it. Either you'll get saved or you can go to hell, one or the other. But let's, let's just do it. And I'm going to go watch the race. All right, so here we go. So I just, I, just, I just need to ask you three questions. Pilate, Jesus asked Pilate, whose idea is this? Do you, do you know that I'm a king? And honestly, that's my first question. What is your confession? What is your confession? Do you know that Jesus is the king? And if you know that Jesus is the king, then is he your king? Is he your king? Because that's the question you got to answer. You you see, Jesus riding into Jerusalem and being declared a king by everybody else who was throwing down the palm trees and everybody else who was saying Hosanna, that's all wonderful. And Jesus being the king and being celebrated by everybody around you, that's, that's wonderful, but that's not the answer. But what about you? Do you know Jesus as the king? Or is he just somebody that you admire 
and you just like a lot of things about him. There's a whole lot of things about Jesus that you think is good and, and is good for you. And I'll just, I'll take this on because it's good for my family. I'll take this on because it's, it's just good for, for my mind. I'll take this on because I can really see how healing would work for me. But is he the king of your life? That, that's the issue. And here's, here's what uh, Paul said to Timothy about this confession. He said this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Are you at the place where you so much acknowledge Jesus as your king that you don't mind declaring it before witnesses? that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He is my King. That's what we see throughout the Scripture. We see when, when Peter was asked, when Jesus asked Peter, who do, you, who do you say that I am? In Matthew 16, 16, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had no shame in declaring it. Same with Nathaniel in John 1, when Jesus called him under the fig tree. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are are the king. He had no problem making that good confession. Same with Martha in John eleven twenty seven, When she asked him, do you believe? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Same with Thomas. After he saw Jesus, after the resurrection, he told Thomas, he said, check me out. Who do you say that I am? And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And the Ethiopian who heard about Jesus from a man named Philip, and he came to a place to recognize who Jesus was. And he says, why can't I get baptized? And Philip says to him, Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the confession that all of us have to have. If he is your king, you got to make a good confession a good confession, and not be ashamed to have a confession that he is your king. Not be ashamed to have the confession that he is your Lord. No, you don't have to wear a bumper sticker that says honk if you love Jesus, but everything about your life ought to speak out loud that you are a Jesus person and a Jesus follower. What is your confession? Here's a second question. What kingdom are you part of? Because if Jesus is your king, then that means you are part of a kingdom, but not one of this world, which means this. And Jesus was saying this when he said of, he's meaning we are in this world, but we're not of this world, meaning our values, our principles, our beliefs, our morals, the things we teach, the things we support, the things we uphold are not of this world. We're not people of this earthly world and kingdom. This earth, as you well know, has its values. If you don't believe it, just keep watching news and you'll see what their values are. They ought to be so contrary to ours. We're not trying to build a life here on earth. We get the joy. This is what I always tell people. I get to have the best life that God can give me now and still get to go to heaven still get to go to heaven after enjoying all the goodness of God even now. But the goodness of God that I enjoy is because I embrace the values of the kingdom of God. I embrace what it means to be in the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of goodness. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of righteousness. That's a kingdom that's not of this world. And if Jesus is your king, 
then you got to be in Jesus' kingdom. Everything about you ought to be in Jesus' kingdom. A life of holiness, a life of awe, a life of worship, a life of reverence, a life of fellowship, a life of faith. That's kingdom life. That's kingdom life. And how do you get in this kingdom? Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to live the life of Jesus. It don't work that way. I'm here to tell you, we are some rotten, rebellious, jacked up folks. We don't have the capability to all of a sudden stop the gravitational fall of our life into sin no more than I can jump off an a, a American Airlines plane and in midair stop myself and go back up into the plane. You are falling from a plane of life and you're going down, down, down because of sin. You can't save yourself, but somewhere down the line, if you hear the gospel message and realize that Jesus Jesus can save your mind, He can save your heart, He can save your soul, then you become born again and you start thinking like Jesus, living like Jesus, talking like Jesus, walking like Jesus, believing like Jesus. You start doing the things that born again people do. Am I talking to the right church? What kingdom are you part of? And here's the last thing, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? You say that you're in the, you said he's your king. You say you're in the kingdom of God, and yet you fill your head with a whole bunch of junk, a whole bunch of nonsense, not reading your Bible, not hearing the word of God. Who are you listening to? Now, there's, there, there's, there's something about this that I really, really like, though, because he says, whoever listens to me is on the side of truth. Whoever listens to me is on the side of truth. Jesus is saying, whoever listens to my word, they're on the side, they're on the right side. Whoever follows what I'm saying, they're on the right side. Here, here's, here's the thing that sometimes I think gets us twisted because I think Christians sometimes go through this process of thinking, man, I just hope I'm doing enough to be saved or people struggle with whether they got eternal life or they're eternally secure or you know, I just hope I don't lay my head down tonight and the rapture comes and, and I'm going to be left behind. Or one of these days, you know, if I don't be careful, I'm going to take the mark of the beast. Can I just tell you something? If you're on the side of truth, you can't. You can't. Don't fool yourself. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Whoever listens to me is on the side of truth. If I'm on the side of truth, no matter what mess is coming false, I'm not on that side. I'm not going there. I've already been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, and I'm already put into the kingdom of light. So when stuff from the dark side comes to the light side, there's a shield of truth that says, I ain't taking that mess. I ain't listening to that. I ain't taking no mark. I just want to worship my king. I know what truth is. Whoever listens to Jesus is on the side of truth. You never have to worry about falling if you keep listening to the one who's giving you truth. As long as you stay on the truth side, listen to Jesus, you ain't got to worry about how it ends. I got news for you. I know how it ends. When Jesus comes back, everyone on the side of truth is taken back up to be with the Lord forever. He is the king, we're in his kingdom, and we're listening to his truth. And if you want to know 
Jesus Christ and the way of life. Jesus said this in Matthew 17. It was one of those tricky things. Jesus took the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, opened up and showed them some glory. Now, there's a couple of things Jesus wanted to do. Jesus wanted to show them that he was eternal. That's why you see Moses and Elijah show up. But Peter got twisted. Peter looked up. He said, oh man, this is fantastic. I see Jesus, and I see Moses, and I see Elijah. And, and Jesus basically said, dude, you, you ain't getting it. So he pulled back some more glory, and he, Peter falls, falls his face back down. Then he looks up and sees nobody but Jesus. And he hears this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, why is that important? Because a whole lot of folks following all kind of folks all kind of gurus. And yes, Moses was a great man, and Elijah was a great man. But Jesus is saying, man, don't get this thing twisted. There's only one person you got to listen to. There's only one you got to listen to, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So I say this in closing. Why do people who want eternal life follow after dead people? Why go after Muhammad? Why go after Joseph Smith? Why go after Buddha? Why follow all those folks? How can somebody dead tell me how to live forever? The only one that can tell me how to live forever is the one who's living forever, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Listen to him. Everybody stand if you would. Prayer team, you can come. Let me just wrap this thing up. Race going to start real quick here. Here, get my stuff, baby. Let's go. Get the car started. You might be watching online. You might be in the house. And let me, let me just tell you, today is the day that you can make a decision on who your king is, what kingdom you're going to be in and who you're gonna to listen to. I'm telling you right now, nothing I've shared with you, nothing I shared with you is gonna lead you in a wrong direction. But I'm telling you, there's people in this house, there's people online, everything about you wants to know what's right. Everything about you wants to know what's true. Everything about you wants to know, where can I put my true confidence and in whom? And I'm here to tell you, it's only one and that's Jesus. If you're watching online and you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, you can do that. Those that are working with you on the chat, you can just lift your hand. I'm telling you, they'll walk you through the process. They'll connect with you and they'll get you on to the next step. If you're in the house today, you can make a commitment right here, right here today. There'll be people here that will help you. I'm going to pray with you, pray for you. There's connect tables on the way out in the lobby. Those folks can help you get on to the next step. We want you to be kingdom people in this, in this kingdom of God who continues to grow and prosper. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and bowed down for a moment, every eye closed. If you're here in the house and you have not made that commitment to Jesus and, and you want to do that, same online, you want to make that commitment and say, I, I, I want to trust him. I need to trust him. I want to make my life right. If you just raise your hand, I'll... I'll see and I'll pray for you right where you are. Wherever you are, just raise your hand. God bless you right there. I'll see you there on the left. God bless you right here. God bless you. God bless you over on the far side. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Can I ask, because is there any others? Let's just say this prayer together while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed for the sake of those who 
raised their hand and made that commitment. Let's just, can we just pray with them together? Father, today, I commit my life to Jesus Christ. I thank you for forgiving me for my sins. I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Today, I begin a new life living for him. And I'm committed to living for Jesus until he returns again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.